We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCrady. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into this Monday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm, Brian Rippey here with you today. A, uh, a full slate of shows this week, but it is the week of SEC Media Days. The Rebels going on Thursday. We'll uh, go over when, uh, what, which team is going on what day, what players are headed in from every team, the storylines that are at least possible. Greg Sankey also going off on Monday as well. We'll get you the schedule of the podcast. Again, you'll get a full slate of podcasts. It'll just be a little uh, different from a streaming from maybe a production standpoint as far as when the uh, the shows are being published. But for the most part, it won't, it'll be mostly back-end stuff, not stuff that you'll see on the front end as football season, at least in some ways here. That's debatable, but kind of. SEC Media Days again kicking off on Monday. The podcast brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Hope all of you took advantage of the $1 Sundays that were going on at a lot of crystal locations here on uh on the day before you're hearing this podcast, we are taping this on Sunday. So in case something catches on fire, we didn't know it. We taped this before that uh, that happened here on Sunday afternoon. So hopefully you took advantage of the uh, the Crystal $1 Sundays, but you can go in. Great breakfast at Crystal. We used to uh, do some podcasts there inside the dining room for breakfast in Crystals. You can get great, great breakfast there. Also with the Oxford Exxon ribs, lunch specials, and much more coming your way. Coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900, Amory, Mississippi. Corey wants to be your car guy, wants to be your truck guy, and he will take care of you. No matter where you are in the car buying process, let Corey help you along the way. And then we'll have guests and interviews for you. Really the next couple weeks, some OEP extras, some uh, personalities from SEC Media Days. Neil's there all week. He's going to take advantage of that. Get you guys a lot of content, and those will be brought to you on the My Perry Franchise Hotline as the week goes on. Andy Ludicky there helping you uh, accomplish great things with franchising. Brian, how are you? You've uh, you've been in New Orleans for the weekend. You look like you're no worse for wear. You know, it's it's kind of the golden rule. Forty eight hours is about what you want in New Orleans if you're if you're doing it a certain way. After that, you kind of need to get the hell out of there and get on home. Yeah, I would. I would strongly agree with that. Uh, but yeah, made it back in one piece. Uh, I think the days of me strolling up and down Bourbon until early hours in the morning are largely past me anyway. We did walk down Bourbon briefly after lunch on Saturday and went to like one spot. And then before we got back to the hotel and went and got ready. But yeah, um, I am, uh, I'm no longer just stroll Bourbon for a couple of days and stay out till three o'clock in the morning because I'd feel it a week later, I think. 
what was the age that the maturity level moved past? We're going to go get the, get the hurricane on bourbon and see if we can close that now. Oh man. I would say 25 for whatever okay. reason, 25, the hangover started feeling worse. Like you felt them on Tuesday at work, Monday at work, it became multi-day affairs. So probably around then. I don't know if that's scientific, but that's when I started to notice it. You know, I think there's some truth to that. I think there is something to 25. Some of them are going to go, you're, you're insane. But I'm, I'm talking about relative to what people say age ranges are when things change. I think 25 changes more than 30. I don't think 30 is really much of anything at all. You're kind of just a young adult. As long as you're reasonably healthy, I think you're the same. I think 25 is when you do get those two-day hangovers. You can't go back-to-back the same way that you could when you are in college, things like that. There is something about even just being three, four years out of college at that 25 mark where you – you do sort of just go, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm. I get that an athlete is kind of getting in his prime, but I'm not working out like that. I am not the same. Twenty five is actually kind of a key age. Yeah, you're over the hill at that point. You're not in the prime, and then it, you start debating whether it's actually <laughs> worth it. You mentioned not being able to go back to backs. That second day normally is just like, actually, I'm not going to do this to myself because this is actually going to suck on Monday. So when you start like dreading the idea of being hungover more so than being hungover, that's probably when you've hit the age. Maybe it's because we actually have stuff going on, though, and we do have to be somewhere on Monday that's not just sitting in some sort of English lit class or something. Like, hey, I got a meeting. I got a phone call. Like, I, I, I've i got to be a little sharp here. I, I, I can't just be a schlub. And if you are 25 and older and don't have any place to be or anywhere to go, then you probably have no idea what we're talking about then because you probably haven't hit this point. Yeah. Um. Just a quick update for everybody. So, again, Neil in Nashville this week for um, <clears throat> Media Days. And um, by the way, thanks to Davey Ferris for that. You can uh, read about that on Neil's uh, weekend thoughts that are up. He is helping sponsor this week of media days and also is the new sponsor of the mailbag when he kicks back off here this fall. But uh, Brian and I bringing you today's podcast. This Again, this is the Monday podcast. Neil and I will be with you on Tuesday. You'll get that pretty early on Tuesday morning. I think we're going to we're going to record pretty early on Tuesday. Um, I think we're going to record Wednesday's podcast on Tuesday afternoon. Um, at some point. So you're going to get Tuesday morning, normal time to Wednesday podcast, probably normal time. But again, anything that happens on Tuesday night, we probably will not know that by that point. We're probably going to read, going to, going to record around four o'clock on Tuesday afternoon for Wednesday's show. And then on Thursday, it'll probably be a Thursday afternoon show because Ole Miss is on Thursday and it would make no sense to go at eight o'clock in the morning or earlier, put out a show before Lane Kiffin starts speaking to the media. So that won't happen. That will not be what we do. So probably a Thursday afternoon podcast. And then I've got a couple other things going that will turn into hand raised guys as the week goes on. Some, uh, some not Ole Miss topics and some other topics as well that are, I guess, peripherally uh, associated with the, uh, the rebels there to close out the week. Brian will have some shows. We'll have stuff on the network. Don't worry, but that's just kind of the way the, uh, the deal goes there with uh with sec media days so it's always been sort of this unofficial kickoff we always talk about this it's here july 17th 18 19 20 but it's it's almost it's kind of a joke too because there's a two-week lull before preseason camp starts you do all the media things to do and you go and you go and you go and you have news and all this stuff and then on the other side of it there's just a two-week dead period so does this actually get you amped up for football season does media days count or because of the lull, is it just simply sort of an appetizer before we take take a few days off again? I think it counts. I think, I don't know, I just view it as like two to three soft launches uh, leading into the football season. This one being the first one, but you're right. Then you have two more weeks where it's like, actually, there's nothing going on. Then you start camp, but then, you know, you're excited to have the content of camp. 
But then you get to like the second or third week of camp and you've kind of covered everything. And then there's like another lull while, yes, they're practicing and doing interviews. There's really not a ton to talk about until the season kicks off and then it finally gets there. So I think this counts. And I would say I'm probably more ready for this football season and this ramp up than I have been in years past because like last year, I mean, granted, I don't go to the games and cover it anymore, but we were talking baseball through pretty much the end of June. And then you had a short period of time off. And then the football thing started where it feels like we've been in off-season mode since April with the way the baseball season went. So uh, I'm probably more eagerly um, welcoming this time, uh, more so than I have in any other year, too. So we'll kick off the schedule. Here's the deal. Here's when who is going, is who they're taking. On uh, on Monday, as you're hearing this, LSU is uh, first team up there with Missouri and um, and Texas A&M as well. LSU sending Jaden Daniels, the quarterback, Josh Williams, the running back, two seniors there, uh, Wingo, the defensive tackle, and then, of course, Brian Kelly, the head coach, doing his uh, – his his run there at the podium. Missouri sending uh, Chris Abrams Drain, a defensive back, Javon Foster, offensive lineman, Darius Robinson, defensive lineman, and then Eli Drinkwich, the uh, the head coach. A and M, Fadil Diggs, defensive line, McKinley Jackson, Mississippi native, their defensive line as well, and Aeneas Smith, the uh, senior wide receiver, along with Jimbo. Greg Sankey will kick it off. The three teams on Monday, as well as the commissioner, and you know it's 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 somewhat interesting because for a long time. And it still is to an extent. I don't mean let's not let's not completely absolve them of this. Forever, the SEC Media Days was about how many credential media they could get in one room or one building, and they would promote, hey, 800, 900, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200. And it was this circus of SEC stuff, and it was going to be at the Winfrey, and it was going to be in the lobby, and it's when, you know, Godfrey goes and dresses like the Alabama fan and does all that. And you got all the all the stuff that comes with it. And it was a sideshow in a way, and, and and again, I think in some ways a football celebration, a football circus, whereas, you know, Destin was always known of, hey, that's where the real news is, the SEC meetings, you know, in, in, in late May before, right after the SEC baseball tournament, they go to Destin, and that's where the teeth is, and then this is the, 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 the circus act. And that hasn't necessarily changed, but we don't really hear about the number of credential media anymore. They're moving it around now. It's in Nashville. I think it has somewhat of a little more professional tone to it. And I think with so much news value going on in college football right now, at least from Sankey tomorrow, I don't know if he's going to say anything valuable. He typically picks out some targets. He sort of picks out, hey, I'm going to take an indirect shot at this entity of whatever that entity is, and I'm going to set some, you know, some, some itinerary for the upcoming thing. I don't necessarily expect news, but I do think that it has even up somewhat. I think there's less news in Destin than there used to be, and there's at least the potential for more news in Media Day than there used to be. And it's starting to kind of come together because right now you look at it and we know that it's an eight-game schedule for uh, 2024. You know that we still haven't made a decisions past that. You've got all the topics about expansion and revenue and contracts and all these things. It's made it where I'm at least – I, again, I think if you just read the quotes, you're not going to get a ton of answers on what Greg Sankey is thinking, and you're not going to have a ton of news to write a bunch of notebooks from. But I think his tone, his word choices, and his overall general attitude is very valuable to see when he gets in front of the microphones on Monday. So of those three teams and then Greg Sankey, I think it's a runaway winner that I'm most interested in Sankey, and it's more for just his attitude toward these topics as he talks about them. Yeah, I would agree. And I guess the second place would be Jimbo because just wonder what his general demeanor will be after last year and that whole thing. And he's always kind of whiny in general. But yeah, I think 
I mean, look, I'm not the first person to say it, but like, obviously this is a made for TV event, but in like the unstable time in college athletics and college football that we're in, whether it's NIL realignment, conference realignment, people moving conferences, things like that, there's at least big picture topics that give circus events like this a little bit more value than in past years that you just go ask who got bigger, faster and stronger and the depth chart and all that other stuff where they don't actually say anything. And the players are trained to say as little as possible. So I think this year, particularly, I would say Sankey's the most interesting draw on day one, but I think that largely has to do with just how many big picture storylines that aren't actually about football itself. It's more like the ecosystem in which it resides in. And I think that's probably what makes it more interesting than in years past. You know, we're we're talking about getting in a ballroom and everybody getting together. You know, back in the day when even any sort of media day or barnstorming was, you know, they put some of the top reporters on a plane and just fly them around to the different campuses over like 10 days. In today's environment, you could get stuck on the plane with some pretty rough characters that you would have to spend a week with flying around to the how many ever SEC schools. I mean, that, 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 that that's a book in and of itself. I mean, can you imagine some seating assignments? It's like, hey, I got my boy Dan over here next to me or 40 or Steve Rob. Like, we're all just piled up in this little king air headed wherever we're headed. Oh, multiple people would go on no fly list. There'd be a fight. Like, I, I what does Neil think of that idea? I'm sure he would absolutely love the idea of flying around with a bunch of his media colleagues for a week going to different campuses. I did actually know that because – uh What's his name? Ron Higgins writes the same column every single year about how many media days in a row he's attended. And he always starts it by saying it used to be called the Skywriters. And I was like, I've read this column nine, nine times. So uh, I did actually know that. I don't know if I'd be a fan of doing that. Oh, Ron, Ron just republishes his work at this point. We're getting the same column pretty much every year. I think some different version, just basically to let everybody know he, he has been to a lot of SEC media days, which, uh, you know, I, I guess I'd put that up there with running a marathon and other incredible <laughs> feats. I, I don't really know. Um <laughs> I like to think I've he has stayed in sports journalism and not died. Congratulations. That is, yeah, that is like, congrats on continuing to be alive. It's not really hard to get a credential to SEC media days, but uh, I digress either way. <laughs> uh, LSU, what's the uh, what's the story? I mean, not really the question for Brian Kelly or anything. I'm not worried about that, but just in general, what is when I say LSU football for 2023, what sort of comes to mind on where they are? Are they actually better than Alabama? Because I think so, but like. I have to see it to believe it. I don't know why. I, obviously, they beat them last year. They won the West. But, like, how much better are they than Alabama, I think, would be the question. Because, you know, you talk about the SEC West and you look at it this year, like, the middle to bottom seems somewhat wide open. I think Auburn will probably struggle a little bit. I don't really know what to make a state. Ole Miss has a pretty, I would say, wide range for error. But, like, at the top, is it a one-team race or is it a two-team race? Because uh, I, I don't really know the answer to that. And if LSU is substantially better than Alabama, then I think it probably becomes a one-team race, and they may just walk to a uh, second straight SEC West Division title under Brian Kelly, which would be pretty bonkers for him to come in there and win the West in his first two years. That would be pretty wild. Yeah, you know, it's – LSU is a fascinating team from that standpoint. They've obviously got the quarterback back. They've got Harold Perkins. They've got some stars on that team. I think the defense is pretty good. Neil, Neil is like all up in the Kool-Aid. I'm not ready to go there yet. I'm not going to go say LSU is about to go take it and go dominate everybody. But it is absolutely a whole serve year because what well, they did what they did last year, but, you know, it didn't get them into the playoff. It didn't do those things where they're still competing for a national title. Georgia is still the preeminent power in the SEC for sure after back-to-back national titles. But – no, LSU is in a year where if they could win the West and you get two in a row and Alabama, let's say just for the heck of the conversation, and we'll talk about the Tide in a minute, but 
if they can get into a point where they have, you know, there's quarterback problems at Alabama and they pick the wrong one or that's not going to be, you know, some formidable thing after Bryce Young and they get a little mediocre there, I think you're officially, if LSU could do it a second time, you're unseating them and moving LSU to the top from a program standpoint. I, I, I think that's where you would be. So I think, you know, look, I don't think either, I don't think Alabama or LSU is going to win the national title this year necessarily. But I do think pecking order in the West is fully up for grabs if it's one of those two. Now, again, somebody comes out of nowhere at Ole Miss or somebody wins the West, then great. But if it goes scratch, as we're discussing right now, I think LSU is in a year where they can not only win the West, but they probably can move ahead from a power ranking standpoint if we were just simply putting SEC West teams in in, in order for where their uh, their success lies in the current environment. And you just look back at last year, too. Remember for the first four or five games, we thought LSU sucked. Remember they lose to Florida State, and you're like, man, they're going to be bad this year. That really mm-hmm. opens the door for Ole Miss. And that's not to to uh, to uh, rehash old wounds or whatever the saying is, but, man, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you look at, at how wide open the SEC West was or at least felt like last year for the first time in a long time, and you – compare that with the way the season ended it, it's it's really disappointing I would I'd be wonder I would wonder what the what ifs would be if Ole Miss had won that Alabama game how would the rest of that year gone would they have found ended up finding a way to go to Atlanta I don't know the answer to any of those questions but you just think about how wide open it was because I went from Labor Day night thinking wow LSU's not going to be very good this year to them winning the West and it you know they they were your, weren't your typical West winner. They didn't really do it in dominating fashion. Mm-hmm. They lost to A and M to end the season. They were a three loss team. They were SEC West champion that really had no like really any conversation about being in the playoff at all. So it was so un it was a not traditional. I guess is the word I'm searching for. I'd need to see it again to believe it. I'm kind of like you, but Neil's all in on him. Yeah, he's a hundred percent in on him completely. And I mean that's that's the point. I mean y'all look at this. They lost four games. Four. And won the West. Remember, just not too long ago, Ole Miss beat Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and Mississippi State and did not win the West. Yeah, I'm looking at the schedule, and obviously Florida State was better than we were giving them credit for after that season opening win. But they lose to Tennessee 40-13. 40-13. They lose to the Volunteers. Texas A&M beats them to end the year, and then uh, 38-23, and then they lose, I guess, two law, you know, Two SEC losses because I'm not going to count the SEC championship game against them, but they get popped. They lose 50 to 30 to Georgia in the SEC championship game, and then they beat Purdue to death, 63 to seven there in the uh, Camping World Stadium Citrus Bowl to uh, end the season. But that's a three loss regular season team that had a 15 point loss to AM and a 27 point loss at home to Tennessee. It, it's where it's such a put-up year because we I, I just gave you the best-case scenario on where LSU is. But on the other side of the topic, the, the the docket, if they're sort of – they fall and they're 9-3 and three again, they look like a team that just happened to win the West in sort of a lucky, weird year. And they're good, but they're not elite at all. I mean, I, it, it's a it's – a, from a notoriety, from a name value standpoint, it's actually a really critical year for LSU either way because I feel like they're sort of sitting on the top of the pendulum – and they could slide left or right just sort of based off their schedule and how they do this season. Yeah, it's it's a very it was a very odd year because remember they also had a little bit of good fortune I believe when they went to Arkansas and won KJ Jefferson didn't play that game so they get one of their four road games in conference with the backup quarterback. But I mean, if you had told me 
the day I remember watching that LSU Tennessee game, I think that was an 11 o'clock. And I think that was when some of the LSU media thought it was just a crime against humanity that they should have to play 11 o'clock games too. But if you watch them that day against Tennessee and you told me that they, a couple short weeks later, they were going to beat Alabama and win the West, I would have thought you were on drugs. Like you could not have convinced me of it that day, but sure enough, it happens, which I guess just kind of underscores everything else we've been talking about where it's, it was really wide open last year. And this year feels like a very crucial one in terms of validating it for Brian Kelly. Like if they struggle and they don't win the West, I don't think he's doomed in Baton Rouge or not a good coach or any of that. It just would make me think last year was even more fluky than I already probably thought it was. You mentioned A&M at the top. They're another team that's going here on Monday to uh, kick off SEC media days. It, it, it's, it's where A&M fans are investing and putting money in and, when you hire Jimbo and you pay him this crazy salary and everything you're doing, you're expecting national championships, playoffs, SEC West titles, and they've been disappointing outside of the COVID year when they had a really good year, but everybody's sort of canceling that out for the most part. You don't get full credit for what you do there in 2020, during, during 2020, during a COVID year. And they've got a lot of changes. I mean, you know, eight and four, nine and three is very, very possible for A&M. And I think that fan base sees that as a disappointment. It's still not getting to the big boy table. It's it's a record that if it was in 2024 without a lot of luck at nine and three, you're not in the playoff. Maybe you're right on the fringes. Maybe you get in eight and four, wouldn't be on the playoff in, in, in that type of year. The schedule's complicated. And then they got this Bobby Petrino thing that I want to talk about in a second. But AM is maybe the team in the SEC that you know, one game in a win-loss standpoint really dictates what they feel about their coach, where they are. And maybe they're stuck with him. I don't know. I mean, they've got more money than anybody in some ways. But at the same time, they just never really do it. I mean, A&M is completely in put-up-or-shut-up mode for me. They always should win. But outside of Johnny Menzel, they haven't done much. Um, I'm I'm not buying until I see it. But I'm also looking at a team and a program that if Jimbo can stay out of the way, Bobby Petrino is a, is a gifted play caller. I do think they've got some things on offense. I think they're incredibly talented. I can't put them is somebody who's going to challenge the West, but they're in that run or race where today, if I just had to pick the team who finishes third in the West, say who finishes third, you know, if you think Alabama really falls off or Ole Miss or A&M, A&M's in that, but there's just something about them and it's the disorder of their program. It's their inability to figure out what their identity is, to be consistent week after week. There's just something about the way Jimbo is actually running his overall program that I don't like. And it makes me sort of sell them and think that if if, if I'm looking up again, I think A&M's going eight and four. I, I think they're a team that loses at least four games again. I know they popped LSU there to end the year, and that was really that was really impressive and successful. And everybody looked at it and went, "Wow, see, that's what they could be, and that's the team that you could have." But in some ways, that was just a really A&M thing to do when the chips are not on the table anymore, and it doesn't really freaking matter, and you're not actually playing for nothing. You win a game. I mean, that's Texas A&M's identity right now. It really is, and I think that probably comes down to does Jimbo Fisher let Bobby Petrino do his job? Because if he does, I think they could actually be pretty good, and it's a very strange year from an anticipation standpoint for them because normally when you have a year like they had last year and it's that disastrous and falls that far short of expectations, normally you have a new coach. Normally that results in a firing for the most part, particularly in this day and age now where people are as impatient and programs are as impatient as ever as the money continues to increase in this sport. And so normally you would have a new coach, but because of his 
gargantuan sized contract he's just back they were kind of stuck with him and i like the bobby petrino hire i'm fascinated to see what he's allowed to do and if he's allowed to actually take the reins of the offense because that's really what's held a&m up the last couple of years has been the inability to find a dynamic quarterback or recruit and land a dynamic quarterback and it's that jimbo's offenses are outdated and haven't really evolved since the Jameis winston era and that's a long time ago at this point so i'm curious to see what that looks like i think if they're successful it's probably because bobby petrino got a lot of autonomy and if they struggle it's probably because jimbo kind of stuck his fingers in there and started meddling with it and didn't really let him do his job and run his offense and i think that's probably mostly what the season comes down to because yes they lost a lot in the portal but i still think they'll be pretty talented defensively that younger quarterback uh, Weigman, Weigman, whatever his name is, seems pretty talented. So, like, they have the pieces there. It's just going to be more about the man running the program. Jimbo will be the most boring coach of the three on Monday because you're going to get LSU and Brian Kelly, who I think is going to be feeling himself a little bit. He's got coming off the win over Alabama. He's got his quarterback. Um, all these different things that kind of set them up for uh, for success. I think it gives him a chance to really sell the program and this NIL thing in some ways. I think Brian's going to be a little chippy. And then we all know about Elijah Drinkwitz. He's going to go into this thing. He's going to say something dumb. He's going to want to sit at the cool kid table, and he's not allowed to do that. He's going to find some indirect way to bring up Lane Kiffin. He's going to tweet at Lane at some point on Monday probably or something. Drinkwitz is going to put his foot in his mouth and do something that takes away from the fact that I think he's a pretty good football coach. I think he's a guy that actually is a really, really good football coach and all this stuff. But at the same time, he can't get out of his own way from a PR standpoint. And he's at Missouri, who most people think don't, doesn't even exist in the league half the time. So Drinkwitz is going to be the one where I need to see what it is that he says that he shouldn't have or either in lights the Twitter verse, if we're still doing Twitter, I guess, at this point, on fire on Monday. But a and the one where he has – a really interesting team, but is going to give us nothing interesting whatsoever at the podium. Took a break in the podcast to tell you about Prime Shrimp. You can get seven different flavors delivered directly to your door. A couple of my favorites, the Signature, the New Orleans-style barbecue. They're great for salads. They're great for lunches, quick snacks, or even dinner to feed your family. The summer's pretty busy, so let Prime Shrimp take care of you. Again, with all those different flavors, fewer than 10 minutes, freezer to plate, and you get restaurant-quality shrimp. They also offer the uh, two-pound bags of individually frozen shrimp, a lot like was at the grocery store, except a higher-quality shrimp from the New Orleans-based company. They're also available in Rouse's Markets if you have one of those nearby. But if you need them mailed to you, we can help you out. You buy five pouches or more and use code RG, and you get 25% off. That's code RG, 25% off, primeshrimp.com. Summer is here, and Heavenly Sunshine Property would like to take the opportunity to remind you about the importance of taking care of your outdoor living spaces. Regular maintenance is key to preserving the beauty and integrity of your home or business, and one of the most effective ways to maintain is through power washing. Some of the key benefits include increased curb appeal, damage prevention, creating a healthier environment. It also saves you time and money. They've been serving the Mid-South and Oxford for over four decades. Their full-service commercial and residential property maintenance includes power washing, soft wash roof cleaning, facade cleaning, and window cleaning. Don't wait until it's too late. Contact Heavenly Sunshine today. And get ready to enjoy a brighter, cleaner outdoor living space. HeavenlySunshine.com or 662-342-1203. You get a free estimate. You can book that today. You can use code MPW10 for a 10% discount. Podcast also brought to you by Northeast Spark, N-E-S-P-A-R-C. Service people across rural communities. Two packages. The Ignite, the 100 Mbps, or the Blaze. The one gig that powers the Clark Ford Studio. Your hometown team bringing you world-class broadband. That's N-E-Spark. 
www.lafayettecounty.com. 662-238-3159. Get the best internet in Lafayette County, also parts of Union and Pontotoc counties for those who previously did not have internet. And then last but definitely not least, GNM Pharmacy, 662-236-2222. They're right there on South Lamar and Oxford. They're my pharmacy. They deliver stuff to me every day. They do that for free. Free local delivery with G&M. Take care of all your pharmaceutical needs. They even help you transfer your medications. If you're using one of those big box pharmacies that doesn't care about you, switch to G&M. You make one phone call, they take care of the rest. Done, simple, easy with G&M in Oxford or Tyson Drugs in Holly Springs. Again, that's 662-236-2222. It's it's but the the ribbing between him and Kiffin that's actual like playful like I think Kiffin probably thinks he's just a big dork, and that seems a little more playful than some of Kiffin's other targeted shots with other SEC head coaches. Uh, Jimbo probably at the top of that list. Yeah, that actually feels like there's bad blood and he doesn't like him. The Drinkwitz thing feels a little more friendly. What's his deal though? So like I, I've never really been as anti. Drinkwitz is a lot of people seem to be because I'm just like this guy's just a nerd like I, I, I he doesn't really bother me it, it's more amusing than anything but he does does seem to say something dumb once or twice a year that really ruffles people's feathers but I really just kind of laugh and get amused by it I think the most recent one was the fact that he was talking about kids getting paid with NIL and he said you know some of these kids are making more than my brother-in-law or something oh, that's he right. saves lives I'm like dude you make six million bucks a year. Like I just put a sock in it. That doesn't make any sense. Did you see this? <laughs> yeah, because because you make more than the guy who saves lives, and you just call some football plays there, Hoss. Like that's that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you make more than anyone in the conversation. Like I, that just that didn't make any sense to me. No, he he can say some things where you really look up though and go, hey, that makes sense. Like I, it's what's so weird about Drinkwitz. He can do really dumb stuff. And he can say things that make no sense inside his his standing in the stratosphere of college football. But at the same time, he can he can have answers to questions and he's at least willing to talk. Like I make fun of him because he is kind of a nerd and Missouri's Missouri and they're kind of easy over there in the middle and you know in the middle of nowhere to make fun of in the SEC. But I will give Drinkwitz that is that he doesn't have the most talented team, he doesn't have the best team, he understands kind of his place in a lot of times, and he is willing to give you opinions. He'll give you an opinion on every big picture topic. He'll talk about his team. He'll talk about things. And, yeah, sure, maybe he said something dumb. That makes the sport better when he says something dumb. It's fine. Let's talk about it. Let's move on. Let's grade it. And and, and let's get on with it. I, I am – and I've said this on a podcast a lot. I'm really, really hesitant to ever really crucify anyone for talking because the inverse is they don't talk, and we get pissed off when they don't talk. So if some, anybody's willing to at least open the mouth and give an opinion – I'm all for it. Dumb, stupid, whatever it looks like. And and, and Drinkets will absolutely do something that probably makes us think in both directions on Monday. Is his seat hot? Uh, no. He's five and so. five think, and then gone six and seven the last two years. Yeah, six and six, got to the bowl. And I think he was still last year. Maybe it says something about Missouri. I think that Missouri goes into this year. You know, he look, he's got a good year where he needs to needs to do something. But at the same time, I think uh, they convinced themselves that they were really close to eight wins last year. You know, they played the hell out of Georgia. They had they they had Auburn beat and did the whole like fumble and just give it away thing there uh, against the Tigers. I think Missouri's in that thing where they understand they need more than six wins. But at the same time, he actually got a little bit of a moral victory from a fan base standpoint last year. I don't think they like him. I think they're frustrated. But at the same time, who are you hiring? Who's going to do better? And I think he's at least on the precipice of, of, 
of being a better program. The problem is that when you're placing them in the East, who are you for sure putting them ahead of outside of Vanderbilt? Oh, um, I think that means program, probably, not even season. You're talking about program? Yeah, sure. Uh, then the answer is nobody. Yeah. I mean, depending on the state of South Carolina, maybe, you know, in a given year, but I can't definitively put them over them. So, no, I, other than Vanderbilt, I, I think the answer is is no one. And they had a weird year last year because they had Georgia beat, but they also got absolutely destroyed at Tennessee. They lost to Kentucky. They only beat Vanderbilt by three. They were kind of in it at Florida. Like they were, maybe they could, maybe they are doing the convincing themselves that they were really close to eight wins. They kind of were, but they were also fairly close to being four and eight, too. I'm looking at this here and I'm trying to make sure. Is it a sign that the SEC, and I look, I, I get Georgia's at the top. The West is a jumble, though. I mean, we'll talk about this to nausea levels as the preseason goes on. It's not today's topic. The West is at least potentially up for grabs with a couple things going on. But I mean, even inside of that, I'm talking about where maybe nobody really completely sucks. And we we can talk about Vanderbilt, but whatever. I think there's a lot of teams in the middle, a lot of teams that could jump up. I think there's a lot of teams that can have this span of two, three, four games, depending on how things fall in their season. It's a sign of that, the fact that far less than 50% of the teams are taking quarterbacks to SEC media days, that even if they have an established starter, they're not the face of the program. They're not returning starters. They're not guys who they absolutely know everything that's going on. You can base a lot of things about a conference inside quarterback play, and that's what really sticks out to me. I mean, it's absolutely the reason that Jalen Daniels and LSU is considered to be maybe a West favorite by people who like them more, more, more than Alabama – but on day one, they're the only team taking a quarterback. Missouri's not sending a quarterback. A&M's not sending a quarterback. On day two, none of the uh, four teams are sending a quarterback. Auburn's not. Georgia's not. Uh, sorry, Mississippi State is one of the four. Will Rogers going for Mississippi State, breaking a ton of uh, passing records there from a uh, completion percentage, completions, all that stuff there for the Bulldogs. Vanderbilt's not. On Wednesday, Arkansas sending KJ, but Alabama's not sending anybody. Um, Florida is not sending anybody. Kentucky's not sending anybody. And when I say anybody, I mean quarterbacks again. Ole Miss not sending Jackson Dart or anybody else. They're sending Cedric Johnson, Quinshawn Judkins, and John Trey Prince on Thursday. And then South Carolina sending Spencer Rattler and Tennessee sending uh, Joe Milton, even though he uh, is in his first year as a full starter there after Hendon Hooker last year. Well, those are really the ones you named are the only established starting quarterbacks in the league, right? It'd be Rodgers at Mississippi State. It would be Jefferson at Arkansas. I guess you could count the kid at A&M, but he only played parts of last year. Yeah, so I wouldn't I mean. count, yeah. count that yet. Yeah, Milton's the one exception in the group in the group of quarterbacks that is going. But like outside of that, the rest of the league is having a ton of quarterback turnover. Like I guess there's a chance that Ole Miss has a different starting quarterback at some point this year. Although I think Jackson Dart probably wins the job. But everywhere else, you're going to have quarterback turnover at Georgia, Alabama, Florida, I guess Missouri. I Honestly, Missouri's quarterback, we used to make the joke on the podcast last year. Uh, like, does he actually exist? I that, I knew so – I've never known so little about an SEC quarterback than whoever that kid was that played for um, Missouri last year. So I'm not positive there off the top of my head. But, yeah, outside of that, everyone is still kind of looking for their guy at this point. So, yeah, I think that probably is indicative of why it feels a little more wide open. It feels like a little more 
balance throughout the middle and the bottom of the league. And hell, it's why LSU won the West last year. Right. Daniels ended up being a pretty good quarterback and they won the division. I will, we'll do a lot of preview stuff as the week goes on with the teams that are going up the next day. So you and I won't spend a lot of time on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. But is there one or two teams the rest of the week that you are interested in either player or coach or simply them as a program and where they are here headed into 2023? Alabama is a fascinating one. I mean, it's it's all relative, right? Because they're still recruiting at an unbelievably high level. You know that roster is going to be talented. But last year, that was a team that was really, really flawed. And Bryce Young being awesome covered up a lot of those blemishes. So what do they actually look like this year now that they don't have a dynamic quarterback that you knew was going to be the strength of the offense and kind of willed the team to victory? So I'm very I'm very fascinated in Alabama. And then this feels like a very important year for Billy Napier. Um, that didn't seem like it went too well last year. Uh, Weldon is a big Napier believer. He did very well, obviously, at Louisiana, very good recruiter. But what does that look like in year two when Georgia's coming off another national championship? So I'd probably say Florida and Alabama. I don't know if those are very adventurous or exciting answers, but those would be the two teams I'm most interested in. And then how much of a flash in the pan was Tennessee last year? Like, did they actually back it up again this year with Milton at quarterback, or was that kind of catching lightning in a bottle? Milton has a ton of talent. There's no doubt about that. Georgia being this team that they are, it's so hard to whatever. But I guess that's the question. We don't even really care who Georgia's quarterback is. Are they gettable because of that at all? They I think it would be naive to say year. no because Stetson Bennett was really, really good last year and why that team was even a better version than what it was the year before. If Georgia loses a game, is it Tennessee? In the East. Sorry. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because that one is in Knoxville. I don't know. Who else would they lose to in the East? I mean, I guess you could convince me of a world where you could say Florida, but I I couldn't see that at all right now. So if they do lose a game to an East opponent, it's got to be Tennessee because I just don't see South Carolina, Kentucky, or until proven otherwise, Florida at this point really giving them much of a game. I'm selling all my stock with Florida. I'm out. You're out on Napier. I'm out on this Florida team for sure, and they're going to have to prove to me that they can really handle the NIL in a, in, a, in a pattern that even gets close to to for sure Georgia, but frankly even Tennessee. Yeah, that's been a surprising one. You figured they would be a very prominent NIL program that really benefits almost to an A, not quite to an A&M type level, but you haven't really heard that. I mean, you had the whole Rashada thing that got weird. I don't know if you can necessarily blame Florida for that, but outside of that, you really haven't heard a lot about them having and consistently getting major recruiting wins due to their NIL fund. That has been a shocker to me, but also know nothing about that booster culture and that like fan base and donor base as a whole. Uh, That's they're very foreign to me. They go to Utah the first week of the season on Thursday night. So the return trip from when we all thought Anthony Richardson might actually be a Heisman contender when he knocked off the Utes last year. That would be correct. That was a great football game, too. Um, so that's a tough start out of the gates. But the schedule outside of that, not terrible. They have – their West opponents are Arkansas and LSU. Obviously, LSU is the front one. Then they get – Their road games are at Missouri, at Kentucky, at South Carolina, and then the neutral site. So pretty manageable schedule. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's our podcast, so I'm, I'm, I'm changing the subject for a minute because, again, we can we can go tons of uh, media day stuff. But I'm just curious here. Um, and don't take a ton of time with the answer, but from a 90-second standpoint, let's do something like that. It's been a message board topic for a couple weeks now. Jackson Suber, the uh, Ole Miss golfer, uh, where is he in his PGA Tour chase here, and what have you sort of seen from him at this point of his Corn Ferry season? He is he has quickly risen the ranks as uh, Ole Miss's best guy to, to get back on tour. He's made the most of his opportunity. He was a guy that I believe went to final stage of Q school, but did not play very well. So I want to say he got the minimum amount of guaranteed starts. I don't know that for a fact. I could be wrong about that, but I think he got to final stage and didn't really have like full status. It was partial status in the Corn Ferry Tour. He Monday qualified into that event in Georgia, I believe, that's between their trip to Chile. Almost won the sucker. Top uh Top 10 did at least, I think. So that kind of helped him in the reshuffle. A couple of weeks later, he starts getting into events. He almost wins the tournament two weeks ago, and now he is inside the top 30 and in line to get a PGA Tour card. As the season stands today, he is 22nd, which is a hell of a place to be for a guy who started the year with only conditional status on the Corn Ferry Tour. I would describe it as making the most of the opportunity because he was probably in all actuality thinking, okay, I'll see what I can Monday into this year and hopefully we fare better at Q school next year. And now he's on the cusp of reaching the PGA tour, which is pretty wild. It, it would almost take a choke job to not at this point, right? Yeah. I always, I, I'm hesitant to like say one way or another, because the way they do the points confuses the hell out of me. I would think being eight inside the number with six or seven events left is probably fine. But if he had one more top 10, I would feel a hell of a lot better about saying, yeah, he's good to go. But well, you run the risk the of like seat. six people outside the 25 winning an event or something. I mean, there are things that would move people around in major ways. Right. And they're not doing the finals this year, and the play, the, but they're still having the events and the points are worth more. So I think he's fine. Um, but, I, you know, he had that top five. It was a top five, and then he finished solo second last year. That got him 300 points, and so – 
Um, you know, it's a hell of a place to be. He uh he he certainly earned it. He's only played in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven events this year, and he's inside the top twenty-five or inside the top thirty. That probably sums it up better than anything else. You know, it, it's not like the average fan for Ole Miss Athletics is paying attention to the golf team necessarily, but he was really good in college and probably underrated to the casual fan. You know, obviously everybody talked about Braden Thornberry because he won the national championship and, and all that stuff. But, I, you know, we, we see golfers and tennis players and Olympic sport athletes at Ole Miss that sort of really resonate more. I feel like Suber never hit the level that probably was deserved considering his play. I think anybody who's an av- you know casual sports fan or definitely even a casual golf fan, they're gonna they're gonna re- know and recognize him for probably a pretty good while here on uh, on the PGA Tour. Super consistent. Probably never had like a a signature win in college yeah. in amateur golf. I'm not not that he didn't win, but like he won a bigger event like that. But was super consistent and was kind of in the mix in those PGA Tour rankings. He was just really really good for a lot of weeks in a row and. Particularly when it comes to cutting your teeth in professional golf, that is the name of the game. You either win one week or you are robotically consistent, and he's certainly doing the latter part right now. Do you have a PGA Tour comp and a not a best case scenario, but just a hey, this is what this might look like? Hmm. I didn't prepare you for that at all. So, I could honestly, this may be a, be putting too much pressure on his shoulders. Ches Reevy. Couple Ooh. wins, been on the PGA Ooh. Tour for a long time. I don't hope that's also not insulting to Super. I hope he wins 25 times and becomes a World <laughs> Golf Hall of Famer. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I could see that. I could see him being a guy that lasts on the PGA Tour for a very long time. You know, maybe have a couple wins sprinkled in. But a guy you look up in 15 years, like, that dude's been around a while. I could see that easily. Hey, there is a almost every young golfer is they go, hey, I know you're full of vinegar and you want to go be Phil Mickelson and all that stuff, but – you know, if, if you offer a young golfer, hey, you're going to have the exact career of Ryan Palmer or Brendan Steele. You say yes and go cash those checks, bud. Every single person entering Q School today <laughs> would take Ches Reeve's career in a heartbeat if you gave it to him. Made a ton of money, had a, you know almost two decades on the PGA Tour, won a few times. Never really flirted with like a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup team or anything like that. But I think he won a playoff event or got in a playoff a couple years ago. Made a ton of money. Everyone would take that career 10 times out of 10 if you offered it to them when they showed up to Q school the first day. Oh, yeah. So Jackson super in good shape there. I just want to get that in because it was uh, it was on my mind for whatever reason. Um, we talked about this on the board on Sunday morning. Ole Miss, uh, I guess, sophomore defensive lineman, Xavion Harris. He uh, was arrested in the early morning hours on a Sunday. He was charged with uh, fleeing or eluding an officer. Driving under the influence, first offense on that one. Uh, no headlights, running a stop sign, and reckless driving as uh, as well for the uh, the nineteen year old there. I don't know if that also comes with a minor possession or not. I don't know how that works, but anyway, those uh, those charges for him. Um, Ole Miss said that as of now, they're not putting out a statement. They were aware of it and proceeding in that uh in that nature i not getting into details i don't know all the details but the the number one thing here is thank god nobody was hurt um from what i've heard he uh he was actually he had multiple incidents over the course of the night um with with officers it wasn't just one and and it's it's it's, it was a deal where really fortunate no one was was injured uh to the best of my knowledge no one critically injured at least and then, uh, you know, you hope he learns for it from a 19-year-old there. Um, don't know what Ole Miss will do from an internal punishment standpoint or anything like that. But I saw a couple of things on the message board about, you know, 
potentially being critical of police or whatever, but even from just a little bit that I've heard from today and just living in the community, nah, it was, it was, it, it was something that you certainly hope that, that he learns from that, that, that could have, you know, at least consequences for him to understand that that was, that was not a good night and you've got to, you got to do better as a, as a member of society there. So again, uh, we'll see. I don't know what, what will happen, um, but he's going to, uh, you know, never lose the season or anything like that. I mean, I don't know what a suspension might or might not look like, but again, thankful no one was injured, and that's where it sort of stands. But Harris uh, arrested there in the early hours of uh, of Sunday as as they move forward. So just uh, just that quick hit as we we move forward on the show. Um, it was a big message board thread, Brian, the other day. I I, I saw Neil. Uh, chime in that he of course you know a calorie is not his friend he is the he the the enemy of the calorie but where do you stand from from a uh, standpoint of fruit in desserts that was it took over our board it was it was the perfect mid-july topic for last week i credit rebel sandman for throwing it out there for letting it run wild because if i'm picking summer desserts like a cold strawberry pie a chilled peach pie in the winter, a warm apple pie, or you know, any time of the year, really. I mean, it's that, that that's pretty high up on the Mount Rushmore. I'm not sure I can get behind that simply because a a, a fruit filling or a fruit is used in a dessert. It is a, a a blasphemous thing. So I missed this. I think I saw the title yeah. of the thread, but I have not looked into this. So he is anti having fruit and desserts just in general. Is that what we're getting at here? Um, especially anywhere the fruit gets you know, cooked or soggy or is not sort of in its native state inside the dessert. Yes. Thinks I'm not that they a are huge, abominations. I'm not a huge fruit dessert guy. Like I like strawberry cake. If you threw me pretty much any kind of like pie, I guess like blueberry, apple, whatever. I, I could eat it, but I could also go the rest of my life without ever eating. The it main things this would knock out would be apple pie and like any kind of cobbler. So it's more of a tech for like, I don't necessarily agree with the guy. I'd say just eat whatever the hell you want to eat. All good. But like, <laughs> I think it's more of a texture thing than a taste thing to me. I'm not a big hot baked fruit guy. I could see where okay. he's coming from, from that angle, but I'm also not vehemently against it. And I like plenty, plenty of uh, fruit based desserts, I guess. Strawberry cake's pretty solid. I don't know if that counts. Is strawberry cake your favorite dessert? I like carrot cake, honestly. So Do you my really? favorite dessert, I guess, is a vegetable cake. Uh, yeah. So I've got I a like really good buddy cake, that man. also like loves the carrot cake. It's his favorite dessert. I they taste good. Now, here's the problem with the carrot cake is that there is a wide range. It can be really good, or if it's not well done, it sucks. There is no mediocre carrot cake. There's a really good carrot cake, and there is a crappy carrot cake. Are you vacationing on Florida's Emerald Beach this summer? Whether you're staying from 30A to Pensacola Beach or anywhere in between, please check out Captain Lee Comerford with Salty Lab Charters. Licensed and insured, he offers custom excursions such as dolphin watching along Destin beaches, Crab Island sandbar experiences, and much more. He's an Ole Miss grad, an Air Force veteran, he has more than 30 years of boating experience along Florida's Emerald Coast. All trips are private to your group, so check him out on Instagram or book today at SaltyLabCharters.com. Please use the code REBELGROVE20 to save 20%. Uh, this is a code is good through the end of the month. You can apply the code to any charter booked in 2023. So again, that's SaltyLabCharters.com. Uh, Lake Hill Motors in Corinth, Mississippi is the place to go to get the zero-turn Bobcat mowers. They have a complete line of mowers ranging from the entry-level residential ZT2000, 
With a cutting speed of 7 miles per hour to the top of the line, commercial ZT7000 with the mowing speed of 13 miles per hour. All Bobcat mowers come with the trademark Tough Deck Cutting System constructed with heavy-gauge fabricated steel for durability and improved vacuum lift, providing a reliable, perfectly manicured finish every time. The Bobcat line is priced below MSRP, comes with a three-year warranty, and currently Bobcat is offering 0% financing for 60 months or up to $2,000 cash discounts for cash purchases or financing at regular rates. So get you can also get $100 off if you mention that you heard about it on the podcast. Contact Michael McCullough in Corinth at 662-871-6918 or visit him in person, 2003 Highway 72 East Annex in Corinth. Walk-On's Sports Bistro puts everything they've got into bringing you game day with the taste of Louisiana. Dig into their mouth-watering, made-from-scratch Louisiana cuisine, po'boys, gumbo, voodoo shrimp, plus fan favorites like juicy burgers and fresh salads, all in front of 70-plus TVs, 40-plus ice-cold beers on tap. Check them out in Oxford or Ridgeland, Mississippi today. The College Corner is your one-stop rebel shop. It's uh, two locations in the Jackson area, one in Ridgeland, one in Flowood, and another coming soon in Oxford. We'll have more details on that as the summer progresses. For the meantime, you can visit collegecornerstore.com, plus you can find them on Facebook and Instagram with the largest selection of Rebel gear in central Mississippi. Brought to you by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating, different names, but the same great products and services. If you live in Oxford, Tupelo, or the surrounding area, call Comer, 662-801-1777. If you live in Hernando, Memphis, or the surrounding area, call Southern, 662-429-4429. A-Stock is a Nashville-based online retail company with the mission to provide their customers the power to name their price. All items start at just $1. That's right. Every item starts at just $1, no matter what the retail value may be. Shop now at astock.bid, that's A-S-T-O-C-K dot B-I-D, or download their app, name your price on thousands of items from big-name retailers. A-Stock has multiple locations around Nashville, as well as Memphis, uh, Selma, Indiana, and uh, more locations coming soon that offer local pickups, so don't miss out. And we're brought to you by Game Changer Patches, the only two-patch system available in the market to stop hangovers before they start. The warm-up patch used before or while you drink. The overtime patch used after you've been drinking to recover while you sleep. The all-natural ingredients will keep you in the game and ready for your next play. So go to GameChangerPatch.com, promo code REBELGROVE20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase. I got most of my, uh, I guess I guess you could call it cake pedigree. I worked at Nukes in high school, and Nukes has phenomenal cakes. If you go in there next time, try a slice of cake. It is absolutely incredible so their strawberry and their carrot cake are both very good so i would get that when i would get my meal after getting off a shift or something and that's probably how i got into both strawberry and carrot cake so i could see how you'd screw it up but uh nukes has been my primary provider of cakes for a long time now uh and they do a heck of a job with it so uh, i have not yet come across a bad cake in either uh either flavor so that's your favorite cake even at nukes it's the carrot yeah, like I, if I had an option, uh, I would probably take one of those as a wedding cake. I don't Ooh, think that's really? gonna fly, but uh, I would. They're that good. They're phenomenal. How much of a say are you getting on the uh, on the on, on the on the carrot cake? I don't get a say in anything. I just show up and say say whatever the the pastor tells me to do. Um, so yeah, which I think is probably the way it should be. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how many strong opinions I would have on the wedding stuff regardless 
but uh, that we've just bypassed that step. Uh, we are we are well beyond me having much of a say in the planning process. Do you have one or two things you are willing to at least go? Hey, I want this at all. No, really, not at all. Um, I got downvoted. I like a white dinner jacket, but uh, I got I got overruled on that. I thought that would look cool. We'd all be walking around looking like. James Hold on, Bond. you got overruled on your own clothing. Yeah, she said she'll be the only one wearing white. I was like, okay, Ooh. I guess that's your fair point. <laughs> Ooh. I mean, it wasn't like vicious or anything, but she goes, no, you're doing a black talk. So I was like, okay. But outside of that, no, not really. I'm just hopefully everyone shows up and have a good time and they have Coors Light there. I think I'll be pretty content outside of that. I don't really have any other uh, strong opinions. Yeah, you're not a cocktail guy. So are, is there going to be like some specialty drinks or like anything? Are we going straight like wine and beer or like what, what, what's the what's the cocktail alcohol menu situation? So there will be some sort of specialty drinks. I think Coors Light may be the only beer offered, which might piss <laughs> some people off. Uh, but I, th- I want I, I don't quote me on that. That may be wrong. But uh, it's either that and Michelob Ultra. There will be some specialty cocktails, but I can't remember them off the top of my head. Um, because, uh, that's not really my cup of tea, but it will be a full open bar though. I've look, I get it's expensive. Obviously we're super fortunate. MC's parents, um, are willing to do the full open bar, but there's such a different vibe to beer and wine weddings versus full open bar. Obviously dry weddings, whole nother ball game, whole nother story in terms of the vibe. But I don't know if you noticed that there's a very much seems like lick, uh, liquor is what gets people on the dance floor and kind of gets people moving. Cause the vibe like beer and wine weddings is just a little bit off compared to full open bar. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm not criticizing the people whatsoever, but there is certainly a vibe at the at the at the dry wedding when you walk into the rehearsal dinner, or the re, you know, or, or not the rehearsal dinner, the reception hall, and it's like the you know the uh, the punch that loosely is like from some kind of sherbet or something, and they've got some uh, some sparkling grape juice or something and whatever, and then it's like cheeses and nuts and fruits, and you go, oh, okay. That's. I mean, it's cool. Just you, you got to get me in that mindset. That is a different mindset than. Hey, band and open bar and like let's 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 get the bourbon rolling. What do you do? Do you just stare at each other? Like again, no, no, no shame to anyone that had a dry wedding. If you don't drink, that's not your thing. Do what you like, do what you don't like. But I've never come across a dry wedding. I just feel like that would be very hard to get people dancing and moving around and the typical things you associate with wedding fun. Yes, I'm sure you could have fun at a dry wedding. I've just never been to one. I feel like that would be that, you would have to be in the correct mindset to prepare yourself for a scene like that. That would just seem so odd to me. Well, you know, I mean, Amory was dry forever. You know, they didn't allow alcohol. So, like, a lot of times, really? you know, you, yeah, if you, if, like, when I, when I grew up, it was fairly common to, like, go to the wedding where the reception was. I mean, sometimes the reception was even at the church. Oh, wow. So, you just, like, go in, like, the fellowship hall or whatever you want to call it, and you would have, like, the the buffets and whatnot. Yeah, and, like, the the, the stuff out there. That would end horribly considering the group of idiots I went to college with. They they would not be happy. That would just be a bad deal all around at the reception. Because the they church. would start bringing their own flask and airplane bottles, and it would get get, get, it would, it would get pretty toasty pretty quickly. Yeah, I just honestly shudder at that thought. That, that's way too nice of a place for them to be hanging out. What is your level of uh, decision-making in the honeymoon process? 
We'll probably jointly do that. We haven't decided on where we want to go. That's probably a project that needs to get wrapped up here in the next couple of weeks. But I think I will have some say in that. And we're pretty like-minded on the stuff that we like and like kind of what we wanted for that. Like I'd rather go like I'd like to go somewhere hot, somewhere where you just kind of sit and don't do a lot. Not really into huge like excursions or doing something incredibly physically active post-wedding. Um, so I, I would think I'll have some say in that. That'll be a joint decision, but we're usually on the same page when it comes to that type of stuff anyway. Does excursion include golf or does it have to be a golf course close by? I bet I get one round. I'm not going to be that guy that turns the honeymoon into a golf trip, but I would bet I could bargain to play one round and her ride in the cart one morning. I bet I could get that done. That's what I was going to say. Do you like send her to the spa or is she actually going and being a participant in this? Uh, she probably she's trying to get into golf. We haven't gotten her clubs or anything yet. So I doubt by the point that that happens will be to where she could go and play. But she likes riding in the cart and sitting outside. And I hopefully whatever place we go to will be some sort of like scenic beach course. So it won't be your average, you know, run of the mill golf course. Hopefully there'll be some views. Back on the uh, the football thing, just kind of closing off. We didn't really mention Auburn. You buying or selling the Tigers this year under Hugh Freeze? Buying. I don't know how you can't. I mean, you watch what Hugh Freeze did with that roster in 2012. Some of the si stories that Siski tells about that, about kind of what they were doing offensively is very fascinating to me. I don't know how you can't. Hugh Freeze is good at motivating guys. He's doing good at doing a lot with a little. Is he a perfect coach? No, of course not. See Florida, Memphis in that strange year in 2015, among some other dud losses. But Hugh Freeze is the plucky underdog in motivating him. I'm buying until until proven otherwise. I don't know how you can't. And they may just not have a quarterback and they may just suck because they can't overcome it. But uh, if I had to bet on anyone in year one to be good with the limited roster, I, I would I'd probably take Hugh Freeze, honestly, over anyone else. What is Ole Miss's record in its games against Auburn, Arkansas, and Mississippi State? Cautiously two and one. I think they probably get Auburn. I believe they have the bye week before that, which will help them. They get Arkansas in Oxford, and then who knows what an Egg Bowl and Starkville. So I feel pretty good about two and one through that stretch. Mississippi and three and zero wouldn't completely stun me either. I just that seems a little unrealistic. Mississippi State over under six and a half wins. <sighs> under, I think they'll be pretty good defensively, but I don't know what real Will Rogers looks like. In a non-air raid system, I believe he's been running that going all the way back to college. I think Leach had interest in him at Washington State when he was at Brandon. I, I just don't necessarily see it. They do get eight home games this year, I believe. I believe they have the schedule, weird schedule thing this year. Well, they'll play eight times at Duty Noble Field with just four road games. So I'll go under because I could see them going six and six, and that's under six and a half. So I'm going under. That'd be cool if they played eight home games at Duty Noble. Did I say Duty Noble? Davis yeah, Wade. That would that be weird. Um, hell, they might try it. Uh, they call it a cathedral to college baseball. You could stick a football game in there. That'd be pretty weird. Yeah, no, I don't think they'll win win or lose any games at Duty Noble. That would be my prediction. What was the old dude called? The, the Carnegie Hall of college baseball? Was that what it was? I believe that's what they tried to get going uh, off the ground. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's right. Ole Miss baseball is still uh, active in the portal. Again, we are recording this 6.42 p.m. right now. So if something happens in the next 12 hours, sorry, I didn't know it. Um, but they are trying to pick up Luke, well, Luke Hill, the Arizona State shortstop who got into the portal. Um, LSU is the really early buzz, but even LSU people now saying that Ole Miss is the prohibitive favorite. Mikey Matuk, former uh, Ole Miss, I mean, Ole Miss LSU baseball player, he predicted on his radio show on Friday that uh, – 
Hill would be a rebel and then he would sign with Ole Miss. Hill is originally from Baton Rouge. LSU didn't really recruit him out of high school. And then they they kick the tires on him, but they do have some shortstops on the roster. It's not the most critical need there. So from a, a need and if NIL just straight amount made sense, you would think that Ole Miss would uh, be able to put together a little higher package just because of their need level for shortstop versus LSU and where they are in the process there. And I think it's possible Ole Miss, even if they get Hill, signs another shortstop too. I mean, you sit there and you lose Cooper Pratt to the Major League Baseball. You lose J.D. Urso to homesickness or girlfriend or whatever it was that exactly caused him to go back to Tampa or whatever he's doing moving forward after already being on campus and working out here in Oxford. And they just need another they need another player. So maybe it's a Juco kid who's a really good glove, you know, something like that, somebody who could step in and play some innings, do some things if, if at all necessary. But, you know, as of right now, if you didn't do that, I think Ethan Leje would be your backup shortstop, even with getting healed. So I think it's possible that they, they sign two guys before uh, this period ends. Well, what's up with the two-way kid from Stanford? Is he going to LSU? I don't know. That's gotten weird. You know, he LSU got really trendy after his was his mom that sent that tweet out a few days ago about how LSU was picking up all these Pac-12 guys, but suddenly it'd be a problem if Montgomery went to LSU and it'd be terrible for college baseball. Um, the national media is running some some flyers out there that he might go back to Stanford. Mississippi State felt really, really strongly about it early in the going there, but I don't know what their NIL situation is. I mean, you know, look, it's not Shohei Otani or something. I, it's not that big of a discrepancy, but Braden Montgomery from a two-way standpoint, you know, a top three portal guy for the year, and that says a lot about him, says a lot about the success he had at Stanford on a team that's been to the College World Series multiple years in a row. And then it also says something about, you know, the overall portal class wasn't as good as a year ago. It didn't. It wasn't as good as maybe we thought was going to happen. Now, some really, really good players. Ole Miss has picked up good players. I'm not saying it's dry by any means. But at the same time, schools are getting much better about keeping their talent in-house. They're finding NIL packages to at least keep their guys from bolting all the time. So, you know, you've already seen some course correction from a baseball standpoint in the portal that not just every good player is jumping out and seeing what's there. There, there, there are a lot that are choosing to stay home, stay where they are, and just take a little, little extra cash to do it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like we said, we kind of knew that from the jump. Is like there really is no Paul Skeens in this t- class. They ended up being some pretty damn good pitchers that ended up getting in the portal, but it just didn't feel as top heavy as last year's did. I thought the conversation. I think Teddy Cahill chimed in a little bit when it came to the kid's mom tweet. What does it tell you about the state of like West Coast baseball and West, honestly, Pac-12 West Coast athletics in general? It just feels like there's not the same level of buy-in on that side of the country when it comes to major college athletics. And I think that's probably as indicative of this as anything else. Stanford has been really good. They've won in the postseason. They've gotten to the College World Series. They have not threatened to win the College World Series whatsoever. They won the Pac-12 by five games this year. Just dominated the league, the conference out there. The fan bases don't show up for baseball the way they do. Not just the SEC, but ACC, Big 12, all across the country in different ways. To, to be an area that should that is just in general good at baseball, the Pac the Pac twelve you know not Pac twelve the West Coast has great weather. They have a lot of talent. They have sort of their own brand of baseball that's fun. You know they do more small ball and they run and they do some things. They play really good defense. You know sort of the epitome of the dirt bag, if you will, not just at Long Beach but all the way out there all, all over the coast. They have a lot of really good mid major baseball with Fullerton and Irvine and those places, but. They just can't really match it when you talk about the money that goes back into programs in every way. It's not simply 
salaries, even though that plays a role in it. It's everything. It's player development. It's the the the, the technology that goes into making kids better and developing and all these things. And it's the ability to put fans in the stands and money in their pocket with NIL. It's just they're getting to a point where as the game is becoming more about business, they can't compete. And it's that way in a lot of sports, but baseball may be the one above all else because the rest of the country is putting money in it like it's a revenue sport, but it's not a revenue sport. So they're they're that much farther behind when they just are counting on the money that comes in and all the various ways that that happens at a normal school when you're not talking about the donations and the NIL dollars and things along those lines. So I, I think that baseball is the one sport that has absolutely been hit the most um, by the current environment out there on the West Coast. It's just it's just kind of crazy. It's completely changed the game, you know, and it's it's worse than it used to be, and it was already the case. Um, you know, you look at it, Cal State Fullerton lost Dave Serrano to Tennessee. Cal State Fullerton maybe the number one team on the West Coast at the time, and they couldn't pay him. Tennessee doubled his salary, and at that time, Tennessee was one of the worst two teams in the conference. So you're talking about a coach jumping over to another league to take a team way down the standings, but it showed you just where the money was in the SEC and th- those different things. And again, that was that was years ago. I mean, that was he, he got fired the year that Jacob Gonzalez was being recruited because that was one of the reasons Jacob ended up at Ole Miss. So um, we're talking about a pretty pretty good ways back, back back down the road, and it's only gotten worse and gotten more significant since then. So yeah, it's it's, it's fascinating. There, you could easily write a pretty long form, a magazine article or a book on the the fall of West Coast baseball as more resources are being pumped into it everywhere else in the country. 100%. It's a shame. I enjoy watching kind of the West Coast brand and having, I mean, they still, you know, have a decent presence in Omaha, but it's certainly, certainly not the same and obviously money at the root of it. Yeah. Uh, what do you got on deck for the, uh, for the week? Ask me in two hours. We're about right. to sit down and figure that out. We'll do, we'll have football. I'm not exactly sure what the podcast schedule is going to look like, but we'll do SEC media days, football stuff, maybe some uh, dispatches from, uh, from uh, SEC Media's with someone there, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Maybe get old Ron 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 Higgins on to talk about his thirty third straight SEC Media Day. You think Ron no. would get on the podcast? <laughs> I don't think so. He probably would not do that. But uh, a lot of football content coming your way, and then uh, I got a couple of off the wall interviews in the works for this week and next to kind of get us through this last little dead period. So again, Neil and I'll be back uh, on Tuesday for the Tuesday edition of the podcast. Appreciate you guys hanging with us as. Uh, I'm just getting a lot of content to you in a lot of different ways. It's a good thing. Neil out of town. He's gathering interviews again, some OEP extras and more things as well. So uh, appreciate him doing that. And we will back with you very soon again. This is the Monday edition of the show. And Neil and I back with Tuesday, early Tuesday morning. Take care. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.